to say a word about the 4th of July. I hope that as you're enjoying your hamburgers and hot dogs and maybe seeing some fireworks or maybe hearing them as you're trying to go to sleep with more likely some of us older folks, um, I hope that you take a moment to just thank the Lord for the birth of our nation. For better or for worse, the things that we do as a nation very, very well and some of the things that we just don't do so well, thank the Lord that he has placed us here in this place for this time to be his people to be his kingdom light in our country at this time. And I also want us to be thankful for the men and women who over the centuries have, since our founding, continued to strive for and work for the ideals, liberty and justice for all. And we must be honest, there wasn't liberty and justice for all back in 1776 when our country was founded, and it's perhaps still not true today. But be thankful that we have a country and a place and people who are continuing to work toward liberty and justice for all. So I do want us to pray. I want us to pray for our country this morning together. So Lord, I thank you for the birthday of the USA. We thank you for the good ideals that were set forth in our Declaration of Independence and Bill of Rights the good desire to establish a place where people might enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we are sorry, Lord, that so many over the years have not been able to pursue and experience that liberty here. Make us better, Lord. Heal our land of the contentiousness, of the division, of the injustices, and make us a people that listen to all, who value all, and work toward liberty and justice for all. Lord, I pray liberty and justice for all people this morning, Lord, for people of color in our country, for women, for LGBTQ people, for those who wrongly incarcerated, for those who struggle to have enough food or shelter, for all who struggle, Lord, and for each person in this room, in our, in our, in our town, in our city, in our, in our land. May we continue to be a place where we can shine your light to be free to follow you, Jesus, and may many come to know you in our country, Lord. Bring revival to our nation. And may me as your, we as your people, as Christians, be a people who keep working and fighting for truth, liberty, and justice for all. Happy birthday, America, we pray. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoy the weekend, and um, we're going to continue today uh, in our series on traveling with the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're traveling with him as he goes through uh, the different cities, as he's establishing churches back in the first century Rome. And I want to start by saying that there are examples of many, many smart, innovative people in our world who used their talents and intelligence, but also relied on the Spirit. They had that balance. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. comes to mind as a great example of this. He was a man who was obviously filled with the Spirit. He was a minister led by the Spirit. His words were clearly inspired. His commitment to nonviolence was grounded in his Christian faith. But he was also strategic. He served in leadership roles. He used his intellect and connections to orchestrate boycotts and marches in significant places. He accomplished great things by the use of strategy and the Spirit. Another great example of this is Mother Teresa. She's a woman who was led by the Spirit to leave the relative comfort of her convent, start a ministry to the poorest of the poor in India. And she did what she did because the Spirit moved in her life. He called her to this. Yet she was also very strategic. She built a strong organization of nuns to follow after her. She made rules for joining clear and firm 
She had a clear set of principles from the start of the ministry, and her organizational model for ministry would be replicated all over the world. There are people carrying out her work all over the world. Depending on the day and what part of Acts you read, you see this also in our Apostle Paul. You see the, the spirit and strategy both at work in him. You might see, when you look at him, a masterful planner and strategist. He used every resource and skillfully you know, worked at the system and the culture to bring the gospel everywhere he went. But also, you're going to see a person yielded and fully led by the Holy Spirit. He was used by God to perform healing and deliverance. He often seemed to have a particular plan, but then went where the Holy Spirit called him to go anyway. Both descriptions are accurate. There's a tension in the journeys of Paul between the use of strategy and the use of his creative intelligence, relying on the Spirit for carrying out his kingdom work. And there's the same tension in our lives as well, being led by the Spirit and using all of our resources, all of our intellect, all of our creativity to do that. So we're going to talk here, if we're talking about being missional and sharing the good news, we're going to need to remember that we are called emissaries or sheliach. Anyone remember sheliach from last week? Let me hear you say it, sheliach. You got to get it in your throat. Sheliach. See if you can say it. Sheliach. So we're all sheliach. This is a Hebrew word, which is, would have been very familiar to Paul and first century Christians. And they would have understood it to mean that this is a person sent out from the rabbi to preach, to help the poor, and to bring back followers for the rabbi. That's what the sheliach did. They didn't just mindlessly do whatever the, the, the rabbi told them to do, but he needed to bring all of his innovation, all of his resources, all of his intellect to the job, to, to, to what they were being sent to do. You and I are sheliach. We're sent out from our rabbi Jesus to use all our intellect, all our creativity, all of our talents to bring the good news. This takes our brains, this takes thoughtfulness, it takes time and planning, it takes our resources, it takes very human effort, and yet we cannot do this in our own strength. We don't save anybody, only the Holy Spirit does that. So we must be led by the Spirit as we are doing the work, only in the power of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. In the Apostle Paul, we see someone who first and foremost relied on the Spirit. He was continually in prayer. He was always alert to the leading of the Spirit. He changed plans at the prompting. He stayed long in some places, barely at all in other places. The Spirit moved through him in healing and miracles. And yet he also used every ounce of his intellect and connections and creativity. I love what he says in, first, in Colossians 1, 28 to 29. It says, he is the one we proclaim, talking about Jesus, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And this is the sentence. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. That's the balance of Paul. He's strenuously contending. He is putting his all on the line. But it's Christ who's working in him. He relies both on, on strategy and on the spirit. So I'm going to tell you three stories today. This is storytelling time today. I'm going to tell you about three cities that Paul visited, three situations in which spirit and strategy work together. It's just fascinating. And I think this is a good model for us because as a church, we have to recognize this. As leaders and also as individuals, we need to have a strategy, a vision, a plan. We also have to completely rely on the Holy Spirit to help us conceive the plan, to carry out the plan, and then sometimes to change the plan as the Spirit leads. Praying and planning, listening and doing. 
And we need to understand this tension as people. But here's the thing. Some of you are spirit people. You just love the spirit. You just only want to be led by the spirit. You, doing a lot of planning is suspect in your mind. I mean, we shouldn't plan. We should just let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us. In fact, you kind of you kind of suspect that certain people aren't very spiritual because they're always making to-do lists and wanting to talk about the plan. And you're like, let's just be led by the spirit. But all that planning is boring. Let's just let Jesus lead us. Anybody relate to that? But then... Some of you are strategy people. I mean, you know, they <laughs> there's one right there. There's a couple over in this section over here. Some of you are strategy people. You know God is in control and you want to be led by the Spirit, but he gave you a brain to use, did he not? And so we should use that brain to plan, set up things. You hate the unknowns. You want to have things set up. In fact, people who say, let's just trust God and see what happens. I mean, that's just irresponsible. How can you live like that? You relate to some of that? The funny thing is, you'll get at least a couple of each one in every committee you put together, <laughs> in every small group, and they'll argue about which way to go forward. But you know what? We need both, don't we? Praise the Lord we have both, who will keep us listening to the Spirit, but also using our brains that God gave us to plan and to use strategy. There's a wonderful book called Forgotten God, by Francis Chan. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And he talks about wrestling with this tension between acting according to the Spirit, letting him do the work, but that also we have to do some of the work as well. And he talks about a passage in Philippians, Philippians 2. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more in the absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Almost like the Colossians verse I told you before. And he's like, I love the, contra the apparent contradiction in the passage, right? He says in one breath, work out your salvation, but that it's God who works in you. And here's what he says. I love the way he puts this. The bothness here doesn't allow us to escape with a simple conclusion. Yes, it is God who works in you. And yes, there's work for you to do. Yes, the Spirit empowers you to do the work. And yes, you do the work. It's like baking bread. What's more important, the yeast or the flour? Both. You need to have both. We have a great example here in our, in our worship pastor, Charles. And this is you know, true of our other uh, pastors who, or people who lead as well, Mike and, and Daniel and others. Charles is away this week. He's um, helping to bury his grandmother, so be, keep him and his family in prayer. But Charles is very spirit-led. We know in the way he leads worship, he's listening to the Holy Spirit. He often switches direction. Or, and even this morning, we kind of switched direction a little bit, added a song, right, as, as the Spirit leads. But what I also happen to know is Charles and, and Mike and the others who lead worship here spend hours putting together their set lists and figuring out the right key for people's voices and then practicing with the band and then coming very early to set it all up. There's a lot of planning and strategy that goes into being a good worship pastor as well as being led by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. So without the Holy Spirit, there's no church, and yet we're called to be his hands and feet. And so I'm going to tell you three stories. So the first story takes place in Cyprus. 
We're going to see both spirit and strategy at work here. We're going to start the beginning of Paul's missionary journey. Um, you have now seen this map a few times, so let's put the map up here. Um, here is where it starts in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas are sent out um, from a very multicultural church in Antioch. Sometime we'll talk about that a little bit more, but uh, it's a great, great example here in this church. And they were sent out, and they came down to Cyprus, which is this little um, island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And they were sent down there, and here's what happens. I'm going to read to you from Acts 13. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. That was John Mark, who we talked about a couple weeks ago. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bargesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So there's a few strategic things taking place here. It says the proconsul sent for Paul and Barnabas. He had heard about them, and uh, preaching on the, the island of Cyprus, he was interested in them. A proconsul was a very high-ranking and important official. And Paul, hearing that he was sent for, would not have hesitated to go and talk to this man. What an opportunity to talk to someone who had such influence, such power in that region. That was a strategic move. He's not going to say, no, I'll see you next week. He's going to say, I'm coming right now, and we're going to talk because he knows how important this man is, a great deal of influence. And, you know, Sergius was interested, right? He wanted to hear. But at the same time, you can see that Paul was also led and listening to the Spirit. In the midst of all this, he's got this situation with Elimus, the sorcerer. He's opposing what's being said, and Paul, it says, was what? Filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And, and so he rebuked the sorcerer in this moment. I want to say a word here to those of us who are doers, who like to do and get the stuff done on your to-do list. By all means, do that. But, but at the same time, be listening for the moment when you might need to act according to the Spirit, when there might be an interruption in your to-do list, when there might be something else you're meant to do, a different person you're supposed to talk to, something you're supposed to cross off your list and do tomorrow. So this is what Paul did. He didn't just execute his plan, but listened at the same time. He stopped what he was doing. He stepped out in faith did a miracle, and the sorcerer was blinded. The miracle apparently convinced Sergius. <laughs> that was all he needed to see, right? And he suddenly was amazed and believed. Now, the story doesn't end here, and this is where it gets fascinating. Remember where Paul went next, back on the map. He went, after going through Cyprus and having this whole little adventure with Sergius Paulus and the sorcerer, he goes up here to Perga and then up to Antioch, to city in Antioch, all right? Now, we've talked before about how important Pisidian Antioch was, what a strategic place it was. It was on the Silk Road to Asia, so there's this long road called the Silk Road, and people would do commerce and, and trade and travel along there, and it was also along a northwest road. Um, if you had to pick a city to start a religion at, <laughs> this would have been a great city. 
Um, I'll, I want to show you a couple pictures. You have see, you've seen this first one, um, which is the crossroads kind of thing. This is where that crossroads is in the middle of Ascendia in Antioch. But if you go to the next picture, what you can see that's fascinating is that when you're on the ruins of the city, which is where I'm standing, everything else goes down. So any direction I turn, it goes down. You're actually up on a hill, and then go to the next one. After the hill is like a valley, and then there's mountains. Do the next one. Um, again, hill, you're up in a hill, valley, mountains. It's like the whole thing is ringed with a valley and mountains, like it's a bullseye. <laughs> it's the center. It's the center of where everyone would go. You could see all around you. You could see who was coming. You could see who was going. It was a center of commerce. It was a center of that culture. It was also very, very beautiful. Here's where it gets interesting. In the center of this place, archaeologists found inscriptions of the official's name, Sergius Paulus, way down from Cyprus. So they suggest that he was probably a native of this city, that this is where he came from. Some scholars feel that maybe he was not just the proconsul of Cyprus, but a governor over the whole region, going all the way up to Pisidian Antioch. So quite a bit of power. But at the same time, scholars also believe that after Paul ministered in Cyprus and was perhaps wondering where he was meant to go next, that Sergius Paulus became a believer in Jesus and most likely urged him go to Pisidian Antioch. See, he knew the region. He knew what was an important city in that area, and he would have said, go there. And very likely, he wrote a letter of introduction, which would have been how Paul could have gone right into the synagogue and preached. So what it shows you, that the question I have is, was Paul being strategic, figuring out the best place to go next by making use of this new connection with this important person, you know, networking, if you will, and figuring out where to go next? Or... Did the Spirit divinely orchestrate a way for him to meet this important man so that it could give him access into this important city? And the answer is yes. Yes, he was being so strategic. He was using the intellect and the help of this official, very important official who was just a new believer, and yet at the same time the Spirit had set it all up in advance. Hallelujah. He knew that Paul was going to be down there in Cyprus and this man was going to come to faith and lead him into Pisidian Antioch, where then he planted a church. He preached, and many, many came to Jesus. God led Paul to this person of influence, and he used his intellect and ability to convince Sergius, Pauli, but he also his willingness to step out in the spirit. Isn't that fabulous? See, this is how God works. He's not confused by, how do we do this by the spirit and by your brain? Um, He's not confused about that. He's going to work in your circumstances. He's going to work in your intellect. He's going to work in your thinking and your planning. And he's going to work as you listen to the Spirit and follow the Spirit. And he's going to work in you to do his work. So how does this apply to us? Are we willing to use all of our intellect, all of our talents, all of our resources to think about how we might reach out to our neighbors and friends, people we know, get involved in the spreading of the gospel? Are we willing also to stop and listen to the Spirit while we're in the middle of our to-do list, while we're getting things done, and stop and wait for his prompting, talk to people that we might not have been planning to talk to before? Are we willing to do this? I think of this as two-way listening. As we're planning what to do, we're also listening to the Spirit's guidance. This is what I do when I'm writing a sermon. I have to plan. I mean, I have to read things. i got to read commentaries. i got to read the Bible. I'm reading, but at the same time, I'm listening for the Holy Spirit of God to enliven something of it to bring. And it's also the same happening while I'm doing this. As I'm executing for you what I've put together, what I feel the Holy Spirit has given me to give you, I'm also listening to the Holy Spirit. And he's, he's adding things and he's, 
he's you know, modifying things as we're going along. So this is how we do. Are we willing to stop and listen? May we be strategic and spirit-led. So this is the lesson from the first uh, story. Are we listening for God's spirit in the midst of our planning and doing? I want you to think about that this week. As you're going about your business, as you're going about your work, are you listening to the spirit? Amen? Amen. All right, so I'm going to tell you another story. All right, this time we're going to a new city. We're going to go to Corinth. Now, um, Paul got to Corinth on his second missionary journey. Let's look at the map again. So um, this is, let's see, his second journey. Or is this the third? Let's see. This is first and second. Okay, so second is in here. He, and he ends up going down here and down here. This is Corinth over here. But what's kind of interesting about this picture, so he's, he's traveling along here. He passes back through Pisidian Antioch, always hits Pisidian Antioch. And then he's going up here along this little border here. Um, his plan at that point, the scripture tells us, was to go into Asia. So he wanted to come up here and, you know, cross into here, all these great cities down here. Um, that's where he was thinking of going. But this is what happened. Acts 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So God kept him out of Asia. When they came to the border of Myasia, which was that border I was showing you, they tried to enter Bithynia, which was, this, which was this, the country north of that, but the Spirit would not allow them to do that either. <laughs> I always wonder, like, how did the Holy Spirit show them? Like, was there just, like, a roadblock? <laughs> or, like, an angel standing with a sword, like, do not go this way? Like, how did that happen? They don't really tell us. But they do tell us this. In Acts 16, it says, So they passed Myasia, um, which was right at the border there, and went on to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had, had called us to preach the gospel to him. Finally, a clear word. Not what Paul thought he was going to be doing. And I sometimes wonder if this was not God calling Paul out of his comfort zone. Go back to the, the well, I think the next one is the, is the uh, map again. Think about it. Paul is from Tarsus, which is right here. So all of these places are still in kind of his region, right? His continent, his country in a way. I mean, they're different countries. There's certainly differences. But this would be most familiar. This way over here, Macedonia, Achaia, where um, Corinth was, this is like foreign lands over here. So I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, I should go where I know myself, <laughs> and I know what I'm doing. Uh, it's really, those people are different over there. This is the difference between, like, Turkey and Greece, right? Greeks are different <laughs> than, than Turkish people. You know, it's very different. And I just wonder if God was not saying, I want you to reach some people who might be different from you. If he had not been listening to the Spirit, he might not have ever preached to those people, but they need to hear the gospel as much as the other if we're not listening to the Spirit, we will not sometimes be called to go out of our comfort zone, to speak to people who are not like us, who have different views than we do, who have a different cultural background than we do. We may stay within our comfortable confines, but the Holy Spirit is always saying, I'm going to push you out. I'm going to push you out of your comfort zone. I want you to learn about other people. I want you to listen and hear other people's stories, and then I want you to bring the good news to them. I want you to bring your story to them. So he shows us that he had to listen in those moments. He might have been thinking, I better listen to what the Holy Spirit says, because if you recall how, how, Jesus, how Paul was saved, um, he was, he was 
uh, on the road to Damascus, and a huge light came, and Jesus spoke to him, right? It says, uh, we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, which was Jesus' voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. What a weird thing for Jesus to say. What does he mean by that? We don't know about goads. But a goad is a pointed stick that they would use to poke the oxen and make them go a certain direction. And if the oxen didn't like it, he'd kick the, the stick. But if you kick the stick, you get cut by the stick, right? It's, you get even more hurt when you try to kick against the, the rightful prodding of a, of a rightful leader. And so he's probably realizing, I learned the hard way. I was blinded for three days after that moment, and, and God had to turn me around. God gave him an answer and a vision, go to Macedonia. So now he ends up in Corinth. He goes all the way down that coast to the very bottom to Corinth. Why Corinth? Corinth was another strategic and lucrative port city, all right? Um, it's kind of interesting. If we go to this picture, you can see, yeah, no, go back to the map. To the map. There's the Aegean Sea, and over here is the rest of the Mediterranean Sea, right? There's like Italy over here and Spain and everything. So this is, Mediterranean Sea is big. It goes like this. You don't see it on the picture. But right here, uh, so, so people would be coming with their ships from over here bringing goods, and they'd have to go around this peninsula, and this was very treacherous, Apparently, very treacherous uh, sea thing. So what they what they did instead is they wanted to go through this little canal. The problem is right here, right where Corinth is, there was a land bridge, so it was connecting these two land masses. And so what they would have to do is actually pick up their ship <laughs> from here, put it on wheels or something, and roll it across the land bridge so that they could get through there. But they would do that. It was still easier than going all the way around um, this, this uh, peninsula. And so they would have to drag their ships over the peninsula, over that land bridge, and so it would, they'd be, it would be a backup. It's like a bottleneck, right? So all these sailors and military and merchants ended up stuck in Corinth. That's where they would wait around, was in Corinth, the city right here. So they'd be stuck there. Tons and tons of people, just with nothing to do. Later on, they did build a canal. The next picture shows you that they did build actually a canal between those ports, and so that's there today. But at the time, it was just, um, just land. So what was Corinth like? You got a lot of bored sailors just hanging around with nothing to do. What do you think it was like? <laughs> Corinth was a place known for wild living and prostitution. In fact, Corinthian women, people called people Corinthian women because promiscuity was so rampant there. Um, most of the pro prostitution took place as temple worship, and this was really striking to see. So the next picture shows you, this right here is the uh, marketplace of Corinth, kind of the main square. This is the Bema, so later on in Acts when you see Paul is tried before the judicial committee, it's right here. But up here, so this is all shops, this is where everybody would be in this square region right here, and up here Way on this hill was the temple of Aphrodite, in full view of everyone. And Aphrodite just happened, conveniently, to be the goddess of sexual love. So there were probably about a thousand priestesses up there on this temple, waiting to help the men worship the goddess, how they would like to worship the goddess. And that was what they did. This, these were prostitutes working in the temple um, to help people worship the goddess of sexual love. So this, this was um, just something that everyone looked at all day long <laughs> if you were in Corinth. Not only that, but this big square um, 
you can go to the next picture, shows you a little bit more from the other direction. This is the other side. Um, so again, there were shops and everything. Go to the next picture. Um, uh, this right here was the biggest slave market in the whole Mediterranean. So not only do you have the worship of the goddess on the, on the hill, you've got slaves being sold and bought here. And then the next picture shows you another. On the other side is another temple. Um, and this is a temple of Apollo that's overlooking the marketplace. So people would be worshiping and doing sacrifices there. So this place um, was a hotbed of carnality, of prostitution, of paganism. Um, no wonder. Now when you read First and Second Corinthians, and sometimes you read those books and you think, why is Paul so hard on all this sex and all this stuff? Like it's a very, um, he's a, it's a very harsh book. This is why this culture was really raw. Um, and so this explains his letters. This was kind of a Las Vegas city of sorts. What an amazing place for the Apostle Paul to settle himself down. He stayed here a long time, longer than any place else except for Ephesus, to preach the gospel because they needed to hear it. They needed to hear it. So we see how strategic this was. This was a captive audience. They were stuck there. They had nothing else to do. Um, but we also see evidence of the Spirit's guidance here in Corinth as well. One night, um, when maybe Paul was thinking, can I get out of this hotbed? I don't like all this paganism and this carnality all around me. Um, God spoke to him. He said, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in the city. And so the Spirit was assuring him to stay put. He ended up staying there um, for a year and a half. And here's what I you know, would say to that. He never planned to go all the way down to this city, right? He wanted to go to Bithynia, he wanted to go to Asia, and instead he ends up in Macedonia and all the way down in the city. And yet he it was God's plan for him to be there. God had a word for him to say there. We got two books of the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, out of his time at Corinth. I think about Paul and me um, and the fact that we lived in New York for, almost, for over 30 years. And that was not part of our original plan, okay? Our original plan was we, I, we gradu I graduated from college, we got married, and we were going to live in New York for a few years, two, three, four years, make some money, you know, in the city, and save it up, and then we were going to move south. We always wanted to move south. That was the plan the whole time, and we just kept thinking, yeah, in another two years we'll move south, another two years we'll move south, and it just never worked out, and now, you know, we look back on it as a little bit like kicking against the goads, right? I just feel like we just kept trying, kept telling people, oh yeah, we're going to be here just a couple more years, we'll move south, and it just never happened, never happened, until finally we just sort of gave up. We're like, okay, I guess we're here. It took us a long time to get to that place of saying, maybe the Holy Spirit wants us here, and I know the Holy Spirit you know, used us there, um, but he had a different plan for us than our plan. Our plan, we thought, was really set, um, and instead, his plan was to leave us there for quite some time, and then in his graciousness, he let us finally move south, <laughs> hallelujah, um, to wonderful North Carolina. But this leads to the second lesson from these stories of Paul. Are we willing to have our big plans changed by God? Make your big plans, by all means. Make plans for your future. Think about what you're going to do. But we are we also willing to let God change those plans, to have a different plan for us, because the Apostle Paul sure did. All right, final story, Ephesus. He came through Ephesus briefly on a second missionary journey. Um, we're going to go to the map now. Yeah, so he came to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is right here. So this is on the port uh, on the sea as well. He came to it kind of on the way... Well, actually, on the way out on his third missionary journey and then didn't stop there on the way back. Um, 
Another strategic location, a huge city. We're just going to quickly go through some of these pictures of Ephesus. Just a very big, beautiful city. Big, big, long streets. Tons and tons of stores and buildings on the side that could have been, they could have been stores. They could have been government buildings. They could have been temples. Uh, all the way down, do another one. Um, if you just keep going. There's a temple of Hadrian. Big, gorgeous buildings uh, along Ephesus Road. Keep going. Next one is a beautiful fountain that would be on this main road. So it was, you can just imagine like a big, beautiful city. Next one, um, another long city road that had, again, buildings all along the side of it. I think that might be the last one of Ephesus. Are there any more? Yeah, I think that's the last one. So people came through here because this was a busy place. It was, there was a lot of commercial work enterprises going on here. Um, they also came to see and worship at the temple of Artemis. So here we go. We've got another, another goddess that's very important in Ephesus. Um, this goddess of Artemis, and you can see that's the picture of her. She's the goddess of fertility. And there was a place in Ephesus which was considered one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world, not, not one of the current seven wonders of the world, but it was the seven wonders of the ancient world, was this temple of Artemis. It was right. This is the only thing that's left of it is this one pillar, but there were 127 pillars in this temple. So it was a huge, huge complex. It was uh, 60 feet high. Uh, thousands of personnel served, and people came to this temple from all over to worship because uh, everybody wanted fertility, right? They wanted to reproduce um, in, that in that scene. And so as a result, the temple complex became this huge center of commerce, of banking, uh, as, a, as a result of that. So Paul followed his usual strategy in Ephesus by going to the synagogues first, and here's what happened, Acts 19. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This would have been a secular lecture hall in which various speakers and philosophers would have taught. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So he did most of his ministry in Ephesus in a secular lecture hall, doing what he does, what he does best, informed and persuasive speech. He was an intellectual. He was a smart guy. He would have been a PhD in today's world. And he was well-trained in the art of debate and rhetoric, and he could hold to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any philosopher. And so this is what he did for two years, using all his gifts, all his talents to argue persuasively that Jesus was the Messiah and that they could be saved from their sins. This is what he did. He used all his training and abilities to be a sheliach and to spread the word of the Lord. But at the same time, he was also led by the Spirit. You knew I was going there. Dramatic miracles and conversions happened. Uh, even before he went to the synagogue, when he first came into Ephesus, he, he came across a group of Christians who had not heard about the Holy Spirit yet. And so he laid hands on them, and they all were visibly filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. So right away, you know, this place is going to be a place where the Spirit moves. Sure enough, later on in Acts 19, it says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. There's also this incredible story of the seven sons of Sceva, which perhaps you've heard. These were Jewish people trying to cast out demons like the disciples would do, and they would do it in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And this is what happened one time in Acts 19. It says, one day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? So these people were trying to do it in, in the name of Jesus, but they didn't even know who Jesus was. The spirits got that. So the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. 
When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery, listen to this, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scroll, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. There was a revival going on in Ephesus. I mean, God was moving. God, people were getting saved. They were burning their scrolls. They were converting. They were getting baptized. God was moving by the Spirit of God through Paul. And you know what? I don't know that Paul was that surprised. It does seems like he expected that God would do miracles through him. And so I think we would do well in our own thinking to think about um, if we're going to be missional and have a strategy and use all our talents, are we also expecting God to move miraculously? Are we expecting the Spirit to move miraculously through you and through me in our homes, with our friends, um, with our in our workplaces. And so I ask this question as our third lesson in the story in Ephesus. Are we expecting and praying for God to move miraculously? When's the last time you asked for something that's unexplainable? You know, this will never happen. That person will never come to faith. They'll never want to have a conversation about God. When's the last time you prayed for that and expected God to move miraculously and to do that thing? I had a friend that used to say, if you pray for what you expect, what good is that? Think about that. If you pray for what you expect, what good is that? Let's pray for the unexpected. Let's pray for the miraculous. Let's pray for that person who just seems like a hardened atheist. They're just against it the whole way. Let's pray that God gives you opening to talk to them about your own story, not to pressure them or um, force them in any way, but just to, to open the conversation. Pray for conversions. Pray for baptisms. Pray for miracles. Pray for that person you don't normally have conversations with to appear and that you would have a great conversation with them. If we're operating by the Spirit, we should expect the Spirit to move. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, Paul's success and ours is only through the Spirit's power. The last scripture I want to share with you today, 1 Thessalonians 1, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Here's the three questions I want you to ask yourself. Are we listening for God's Spirit in the midst of of our planning and doing. Get that two-way listening going when you're in your work, when you're at home. Just like Mylene was saying, while she's vacuuming, she's praying. She's listening to the Holy Spirit. Let's get that two-way listening going. Are we willing to let our big plans be changed by the leading of the Holy Spirit? You have plans for your life. Make those plans, but then listen to the Holy Spirit and go where he directs you to go. Listen to that voice speaking behind you this way or that. And are we expecting and praying for God to move miraculously? to do what we cannot do on our own. He will do it. Let us pray for that. Our trip leader said that an Indian missionary friend of his used to say this about the balance of spirit and strategy. He said, we pray like Pentecostals and plan like the Baptists. <laughs> no offense to either Pentecostals or Baptists. We need both, right? In fact, that sounds an awful lot like the radical middle, doesn't it? That's our vineyard way, right? We plan, and we expect God to move. We listen for the Spirit, and yet we use all of our resources, all of our talents, all of our intellect to do God's work to spread the good news about Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. 
and I want us to pray. We're going to go into communion. I know we're a little late today. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I think the Holy Spirit moved. I think that's what it is. So we're just going to go with it, but we have communion here today. If anybody ever needs to leave, they can, of course, leave, um, but we're going to go into song. But I want us to just take a moment before we go into communion and just to pray and just to ask the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. There may be something in what I've been saying that has really spoken to you. Um, maybe we need to pray a little more like Pentecostals or plan a little more like Baptists. Maybe we need to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit as we are going about our day and hear what he is doing. So I want us to just stop for a moment and just let the Spirit speak to you. What is it that he is calling you to right now? Lord God, we repent that we have not always used all of our gifts and talents for you. We've let them lie dormant. Or we've used them maybe for other things, not bad things, but not really used them to spread your good news. Show us, Lord, how to use everything that we have to bring our whole selves to the table and bring it before you and say, Lord, use it as you wish for your kingdom, for your glory. And Lord, we repent that sometimes we've also not listened to your spirit. We've just plowed ahead with what we thought we needed to do without stopping and listening. Forgive us, Lord. Make us people of spirit and strategy, Lord.